Good morning, everyone. Happy birthday, New Hope Church. Come on, is that... Yeah, I know you're feeding off of my energy, and I'm low energy always, but happy, happy birthday, New Hope Church. All right, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Man, I just, um, we actually turned to on March 1st. For those of you who aren't familiar with our story, we launched March 1st, 2020, three weeks before uh, the pandemic. Well, at that point, it was already here, but it just ravaged our city, and we shut down. And we're here to celebrate all that the Lord has done all that the Lord has done for us and all that the Lord has done in us during that time. If you think about it, we, we were, had all this anticipation and excitement and strategies and plans and then COVID hits and we had to immediately rethink our strategies, what we're going to do. And you talk about strategy. The only strategy we had then is depend on Jesus. That's all we could do. Like, we didn't know, like, I, I don't know if you, some of you are familiar, like, with the story, like, our, we actually started to put care packages at the time. This is the third week in March. Put care packages together for the elderly, and, like, I got COVID at that time, and our admin at the time got COVID. We're like, that's not a really good look that we are putting together these care packages and giving it to the most vulnerable in society. So we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't do that, by the way. But we didn't know what we were doing. We just leaned on Jesus. But if you look at what God did for us, he carried us. He helped us persevere. He helped us be find ways to be a blessing. Our small church plan to be a blessing to this neighborhood and to the city in the ways that we were able to help essential workers, uh, to help serve food insecure families in the neighborhood. And he preserved us in though, though we were not, we didn't have the, all the technology and the capability for it. We were meeting online and we started to gather in person in a cafe in July of last year. Like one of the local business owners that we work with, we got to start to meet in that cafe. That's the first time we start to have weekly services, July of last year. And we found this school. God has given us this school to love. And I want you to think about what, not just what he has done for us, but in us. What has he done in you in the last two years in this community? The resilience he's given you, the perseverance, maybe the ways that he has stretched your faith. He's refined you. We could thank him and celebrate him for what he's done for us and in us. But we're just getting started. We're just getting started. We are just now starting to affirm members into our church, finally. And I know several of you have done that. We're still waiting for others, and we want to be able to celebrate that. We're just getting members in our church, just uh, formalizing that. We finally have a school to love, not just a place to gather, but a community to love students and parents and faculty and staff. Like, we want to love people here. And my prayer today as I was preparing this is that I... I pray that God would give us faith, audacious faith, to believe that he can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think. I want us to believe God for whatever he has in store, not our plans, because like COVID certainly wasn't in our plans, right? But we, we want to believe that God could do even more than we could even think to know to ask him. Our desire always has been, from the time we launched to now, and it will continue to be to reach, disciple, and empower people for the glory of God and the joy of the city. 
We want to reach people who are far from the Lord. We want to let them know that it's not about them just running to the Lord, that God has come to rescue them, and he has done it through Jesus Christ. We want to share the good news of the gospel that God has come to save them. We want to make disciples of one another and others who come into this community to grow in the ways and likeness of Jesus. We want to empower them. What does that mean? We want to leverage our collective resources and knowledge and experiences to help people flourish, people who need hope. Some of you may know my story. I grew up in a broken, uh, dysfunctional, nominal Christian home. Nominal in the sense that we were Christian in name. Right? We were part of this small immigrant community, uh, Indian church, and we were Christian in name, but we were dying on the inside. We heard about Jesus and his love. It was, we would hear certain truths on Sunday morning, but as soon as we got into the car, locked the doors, everyone is silent. Nobody's talking to each other. And if we weren't fighting at home, we were crying. And I remember this made me want to run away from God as fast as I could. It was just, and I ran away from the church. It's like, what? None of it's real, right? It's all fake. And those people don't seem to really care about me. <clears throat> but in 1999, I hit bottom. And I prayed to Jesus, not because I knew how to pray. It's because I, we, went to, we were Christians and we went to a church. I, knew to, I called on Jesus' name. He's the only name I knew to call on. But I prayed to Jesus and I wanted, here's the thing, like, you know, you, you, you think about what you need to articulate in a prayer like that. Like, all I prayed was, Change me. Jesus, just change my life. And I'll tell you, December 29th, 1999, he did. My life changed in two ways. The first way is that life got worse. Everything in life got worse. My family situation, in our financial situation, like everything, one thing after another, almost from every area, things got worse. But the second way my life changed is that I finally had hope. You know, it's not even like a hope that God would heal my family because they ended up getting divorced and my family ended up going in different directions at the time in that, in that sense. It w but I had hope. I had a reason to live. I didn't have one before. Like, I didn't know what the po point of life was. I would go to high school. My, I, I share with some of you, my GPA at the end of my sophomore year in high school was a 0.4 because I had zero ambition for my life. I didn't see a future for myself. And Jesus changed me. He gave me a reason to live in him. Oh, family, I want, I want you to hear me when I say <clears throat> that we want to reach people. Some of you have a story like that, or if it's not exactly like that, it's maybe you didn't grow up in that kind of home, or maybe you didn't run away from God for, for all you knew, but there was a time when you also realized that you needed Jesus and he became your savior. Well, whatever it is, when I say we want to reach people, we want to reach people like us, who were in darkness but now are in light who were dead but now are alive, who lived without hope but now have been given hope even when life gets worse. And I just think now that we're celebrating our second year and we're entering into our third year, wouldn't it be great if we saw, this is an arbitrary number, but if we saw 10 people this year go from death to life, darkness to light, or without hope to finding hope in Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if we saw people come into this community? Maybe you're there right now. But ten people coming into this church who would experience new life.
would find reason to live, who were in darkness before but now are in light. And my prayer is that God would give us faith for this, that, to believe that whether it's that number or less or more, whatever, but whatever it looks like, that he would do more than we could even know to ask and could even see with our eyes that he could do even more than we could ask or think. But how? How do we get there? Especially if your faith is weak. If you're like a bruised reed today, if you're like a dwindling flame that can be extinguished at any moment, how can you have the audacity to believe? Well, today we're going to read the words of a man that Sumi read for us in Japanese. We're going to read the words of a man who was in prison and who believed that God could do more than we could ask or think. And we're going to see two things as we explore his prayer. That we're going to need eyes to see the Father and power to experience Jesus' love. Eyes to see the Father, power to experience Jesus' love. The first, eyes to see the Father. Let's read 14 through 19. Paul is writing this. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Excuse me. So at this point, as I said, Paul is writing this to different churches in Ephesus that are probably going to circulate this letter for them to read. And he has just talked about what God has done for them and for the church and that they have gone from death to life. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following and under the influence of Satan, by nature children of wrath, but God being rich in mercy according to his great love that he has for us made us alive in Christ, from death to being alive in Christ. So he has just talked about the miracle of salvation. And then he talks about how God has brought them together as a people. There are Jews and Gentiles in these churches. That's, they're a multicultural church. A Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. So you had Greek-speaking people or you had people from, of other ethnicities in this community. And he talks about how even though they were hostile to one another, God has brought people that you would never think would be in a room together. He has brought them together to be one as a family and in fact, earlier in this chapter, chapter 3, the phrase that he uses, it's translated in English as the church being the manifold wisdom of God, but the actual imagery is the many-colored wisdom of God. It's this. Like the church is the many-colored wisdom of God. Global, diverse, different ethnicities coming together. Only God could do this. And then it leads him to pray this prayer. He prays with confidence. And when you look closely, you see why. It's because he approaches and appeals to God as Father. He says, for this reason, everything he's just talked about, death to life, how God did the impossible by making this group of people a family. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. And he addresses his prayer, acknowledging who he's talking to there. God is Father. Jothi and I moved to, uh, when we first moved to Harlem, 
I mean, we had this like, 50, like I think it was 15-foot U-Haul. And it was filled with boxes and furniture. And we moved into our apartment and finally got everything settled. Our floor was covered with boxes. And it was still daylight. It was like early evening. And it was time for us to leave. And I put my hands in my pockets and realized I didn't know where the keys were. And her parents arrived at the time. The plan was for us all to drive back together. Her parents live in Queens, and we were going to stay with them that night. And out of pride, I didn't want to let them know. So I didn't say anything. I said, I'm just going to go for a stroll. And so I started to walk around, got on my hands and knees, and started to look under every car, right? Walked up and down the sidewalk, looked on the street, couldn't find the keys, and the, the truck was unlocked. I just couldn't, I couldn't lock it. Or I, actually, you could lock it, but I was going to have to, to leave it there. And finally, after some time, I just thought, oh, I can't find it. I need their help. So I went in. I saw my father-in-law and my mother-in-law and Jyoti. And I said, hey, um, I can't find the keys. <laughs> so we, we started to look in, in boxes. And we looked everywhere. And we couldn't find it. And finally, it's like 9 o'clock at night now. It's so dark. What's the point? We're like, we're just going to leave the truck here. We're not, we don't know what's going to happen. And so I, before we left, I prayed. I said, I said, Lord, you see where the keys are right now. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you see it. <laughs> can, you, can you tell me where it is? Like, can you lead me there so I can find it? Like, Lord, you're sovereign. And, I mean, I'm just saying this as a, in, like, one big sigh. We're praying, and we said in Jesus' name, amen, and we left. And we're walking outside, and my, my father-in-law is walking in the middle of the street, he stops, and he just stands still, and he looks on the ground, and he said, hey, and he picks up a key, and he says, is this it? <laughs> and, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I leapt off the ground. I, I was so happy we found it. God, I, two things came to my mind. One is that God answered our prayer, right? Like, we asked him to do that, and he happened to stop right where the key was in the middle of the street. The second thing I thought is, how did I not see that before? <laughs> like, I was on my hands and knees. Like, I was looking around everywhere, walking up and down the street. And there's a, something that the Bible says about the human condition. That we have eyes but do not see. We have ears but do not hear. We need help to perceive. And when I say that in order to have the audacity to believe, you have to have eyes to see God as Father, some of you may be a Christian and you say, Yeah, well, I know God's my Father. No, but you need eyes. You have eyes, but do you really see him as your father? I asked you this question last week that I gave you this example to show that we can know God as father and acknowledge him as father, but not relate to him as a child. Like all of us have parents or have had parents in our lives or have had a relationship. We, we can at least intellectually understand how someone can have a parent, right, or a father. But the children on the second floor right now, their daily experience of a parent is different. They, there is a posture of dependence and reliance upon a parent. And we here, mostly adults, right, all of us here are adults, I think all the kids are upstairs, can know that God is our father. Yeah, I've got a father, sure. I can intellectually acknowledge that, but do not relate to him as a child. And so here you have Paul making his prayer. He's saying, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father. That's the first thing, to relate to him as a father. There are many ways that God is described. Consuming fire. He's holy. He's glorious. The Lion of Judah. He's king. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. But he's also dad. 
He's Heavenly Father. The Father, as he says here, who names us. Like, Jothi is 35 weeks pregnant. We're talking about names now. It's a big deal. Jason and Jasonia is on the list still. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl. Okay. It's a big deal because name is significance. Like, if we named, if, if it's a boy and we name him Vin Diesel, he's probably not going to play chess. I don't know. You kind of, like, set their trajectory with a name. There's a lot that goes into it. But he's our father under, by, by whom every family in heaven is named. Like Psalm 147 verse 4 says, he counts the stars. Stars you don't even notice, right? You don't pay attention to. You walk under every night. If you could see it in New York City, you take it for granted, right? He names the stars and he calls them by name. Like, why would you do that? It shows he names us. He, not just the stars, but he names us. It shows intimacy, investment, involvement. It's him coming near, giving us significance. That's who you're talking to. We're not deists who believe that God created and he's like now hands off and he's distant from us. No, we believe in a father who has created everything and who causes his children, who's named us. And Paul appeals here according to the riches of his glory. I love that. I pray, verse 16, out of the riches of, out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So it's Father who names us, Father who is infinitely rich in glory. He's locating his reasons for confidence in God and not in himself. It's out of the riches of his glory and not ours, out of his righteousness and not our own. And this is what you see so many times in Scripture. People who, in the, the writers of Scripture, they, when, they, when they're writing a psalm or they're expressing their emotions and they're making their prayers, they locate their reasons in God. They say, for the sake of your steadfast love, deliver us. For the glory and honor of your name, do it for you, God. For your sake, do it. Deliver us, Lord. It's like this is an appeal to God as Father for who God is and what God is able to do. Now, do you pray like that? Do you think of God in this way? Do you relate to him like this? What if we don't have the audacity to believe today because we largely don't have eyes for God as Father, but eyes only for ourselves. Our righteousness, why God should listen to us, because we're morally qualified, or our lack thereof, because we're not good enough. Why would God ever listen to us? So all of our reasons are in us. We try to locate reasons for confidence in us. But what would happen to your faith if instead of locating your confidence in yourself, you had eyes to see him as Father? And appeal to him for who he is, with confidence in who he is and what he is able to do. Like if we were going to ask him to do it out of the, the storehouses of our, our glory, there would be limits to it. But Paul is making an appeal to this incredibly powerful, all-knowing creator of all things as Father, who names us and who is limitless, infinite in his power, in his glory, to answer this prayer. So if we're going to have the audacity to believe, to do what I said before, to, to have faith that believes he can do more than we could ever ask or think, we've got to pray to our Father. We've got to make our appeal to one who calls us his children and loves us. The second thing we have to do, we need, is the power to experience Jesus' love. So we need to 
have eyes to have God, to see God as Father, and also the power to experience Jesus' love. Let's read 16 through 21. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all, than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. At this point in his letter, Paul is about to give some ethical commands. So as I said before, he's talked about how God has saved him, brought from, from, from death to life, how he's unified them despite their divisions, and now he's about to give them ethical commands like how parents should love their children, how sh- children should be in the home, how you should relate to people who are in authority above you for work, even relate to one another in the church and the way you walk together in unity. He's going to give ethical instructions for their way of life. But before he gets there, at this point, before the very next chapter where he does that, he prays that they would have the power to experience Jesus' love. And there's a reason for that. It's because most of us think we got to do these things in order to be loved. But Paul prays that their experience of Jesus' love would precede that. That because he's accepted them, because he loves them, because there is nothing that can separate them from the love of God in Jesus Christ, therefore they will have the power to live this way. He wants them to have power to experience Jesus' love. Now there are times when Paul wrote to the church and and wanted them to grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of Jesus' love. There's a place for that. But here, they need power. The power to grasp his love and to feel it and to experience it, to know its dimensions, how long it is and high it is and wide it is and how deep it is, for it to be their lived reality. That's not something that they could just intellectually understand and therefore it'd be sufficient. They need the power to grasp and experience his love. This is supernatural. And as if we would miss it, he says in verse 19, and to know this love, okay, that surpasses knowledge. Like, it's not just about knowing. You need to have the power to experience this love that none of us can comprehend or fathom. He says, I pray they'd have the power to grasp the love that Jesus has for us, the love that surpasses knowledge. You see, if a person tells you they love you, if all you have are their words, they tell you they love you, but you never experience it, either in things they do for you or acts of sacrifice, if they say they love you, but you don't ever see it or experience it, you might question that love, right? Maybe you'll take their word for it and believe them, but you, you generally need to experience a person's love in order for you to really know that they love you. And we tend to think that the best way to experience God's love is through circumstances. God, if you love me, give me upward mobility in my job. If you love me, open new doors for me. If you love me, do this in my relationships, bless my career, the things that I really want to do and the ambitions of my life. That's how we think we can experience God's love. If he doesn't do those things, we think he doesn't love us. But the ultimate expression of God's love for us 
is, Je- is Jesus on the cross. That he would love us to death. Dying for our sins. Dying in our place. Though he is the richest in the universe, being poor on our behalf so that through his poverty, we might become rich in God. And here's a problem. You can know that, but those are just words. Right? You might say, okay, I hear your words. I hear what you're saying. I hear that Jesus did that for me. In fact, I might read that in the Bible that Jesus did that for me. But in order for it to grip your heart, you need the power to know his love and to comprehend. You need to have an experience, like Paul says, that the love of God is poured out in our hearts. It's like it needs to be palpable. We've got to experience the overflow of God's love. We need the power to do this. And as we look to Jesus, as we look to him in the cross and what he has done, God must give us the ability to grasp this love that surpasses all knowledge. You might say, well, what does this have to do with faith? Like love and faith? Like I thought, the topic, the audacity to believe, you're talking about we need the power to experience his love and that's going to give me audacious faith? Yes. Because it's out of the overflow of this that Paul then says in verse 20, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think, having written about the miracle of salvation, having written about the miracle of the church and God bringing these people together to be a family, having personally for himself experienced Jesus' love, it leads this man who is in a cold prison all by himself, probably hearing the chains clang as he writes, He is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. His present imprisonment and suffering does not crush or stifle his faith. And the reason is because he is a father who has given him a name and who is infinite in glory. It's high as the heavens and it is bottomless from east to west, his glory. He appeals to God as father and who has been given the power to experience the greatest expression of his love in Jesus Christ. So that even if he's never free, even if he never gets out, even if the circumstance never changes, he is able to write all alone, he is able to do immeasurably more than any of us could ever ask or think. He has the audacity to still believe. Because Jesus, family, is enough. Like, why do I stay? Like, why do we keep going? Like, obstacle after obstacle, wall after wall, suffering after suffering. Why do we still go on? What allows us to persevere and believe that God can still do impossible things? Like, work good out of a, a hopeless situation. Exhibit A. Because I was dead, and now I'm alive. That's a miracle. I've experienced the greatest miracle. Anything else he does is in addition to the greatest miracle that I have or will ever experience. I am a child of God, though I was once a child of wrath. Death to life. Darkness to light. Hopeless to hope. 
You want to believe God can do the impossible? Right here, you're looking at it. Look in your own heart because he's done it. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to make disciples. We want to reach, disciple, and empower people for the glory of God and the joy of the city. But he's able to do more than we could imagine. And our reasons for it are in the Father who loves us and in Christ's love that we can experience even now. Let's pray.